boy Elroy here, and welcome back. This is episode 8 of Your Boy Elroy. I am your boy Elroy, Josh Prep Igina, and I'm here with my good friend, Andre Rodriguez. What's good, Jerry? What's up, Josh? What's up, everybody? So we got a big, big show ahead of us right now. UFC 235, but let's get into the news first, Andre. The biggest news to come out of the week, probably, is the UFC announced at UFC 236, it will be Max Holloway versus Dustin Poirier for the interim lightweight title. Andre, what do you feel right now because me i have a little bit of shock i'm a little worried confused but i am excited for this i'm excited myself um this is big um especially for max holloway i think that a title shot was very close for dustin but this is a big opportunity for max holloway to get that chance to cement his legacy as pound for pound, the greatest fighter um, to ever live. And he's right there. You know, I, I, I do, I do agree with, you know, what Eddie Alvarez said recently during his press tour at one FC, um, the interim belts, they are kind of a slap in the face to most fighters, but at the same time, you have two guys at the pinnacle of their respective weight classes and their respective sports that are trying to go at it again. And, you know, the first fight didn't go so well for Max Holloway, but he also has a chance to redeem himself against one of the most dangerous and most well-rounded lightweight fighters we have today in the UFC. So I think that this is going to be one of the best fights in 2019. And whoever wins this, is definitely going to earn a shot at Khabib. Or Tony. So, these guys have fought before. Dustin did finish him by submission. Ever since then, though, Max Holloway is 16-2 and with losses to Diego Brandau and Conor McGregor. And Dustin Poirier is 12-4-1. Obviously, you know... Not as good a record, but the competition remains tough. So Dustin is no easy fight. I have a couple questions, though. Why not Tony? What's going on? He's had some cryptic tweets come out. You know, in my opinion, it's because it's not the actual belt. He has no interest in fighting for the interim title. But what do you take from this? I mean, it, the the reality of Tony's situation really sucks. I mean, he had a freak accident not too long ago, but he bounced back in an incredible fashion against Anthony Pettis. And he feels that he deserves this real title shot against the ever-elusive Khabib Nurmagomedov. And I think that his point is valid where he's coming from because this is a guy that has been wanting to fight the best for a long time. He's run through the entire division and the only guys left are Connor and Khabib. But unfortunately, Connor ran into Khabib first. And now Ferguson wants a crack at the title because he knows Connor is not Superman. 
And I think that it was unfortunate that he didn't take the fight, but at the same time, he already had the interim belt. And, and if he wants a shot at the real title, then let these two guys duke it out and let Tony get his chance when, you know, the time is right. Because you never know what might happen. And I can only just be excited because I know this definitely lit a fire under Tony's butt. And I know he's ready to get in there and destroy some people. My next question. What does this mean for featherweight? It's crazy. You would think that Renato Moicano would have probably beaten Jose. And would have been heir to the throne. Brian Ortega did his best against Max Holloway. And unfortunately came up short. And... Guys like Chad Mendez fought Alex Volkanovski and got dominated. So much has been shaking up in this division, and it's honestly a toss-up. Who's really on top at this point? Is it Brian Ortega? Is it Jose Aldo? I don't even know. That's the fight to make, though, right? I mean, what else are you going to do? Yeah. I mean... They did the, the UFC did the right thing by making Max move up. And this fight for him was interesting enough for him to just say yes. Did they make him move up, though? or Because they're still touting him as the current featherweight champion. So do they make him vacate? I mean, the, 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 for me, the question is, do they risk the chance of him not moving up because they are in fear of him wanting to defend both titles. Because Daniel Cormier has done it. Connor has won both titles. He wants to take it up a notch. Max is that guy. And for in Max's case, he said he'll fight anybody. So I know that this, this was a big deal for him. To come in against a guy who was somebody he lost to. He's been wanting to redeem himself against Connor. He wanted to redeem himself, obviously, against uh, Bermudez, but he, you know he didn't get that chance. But you know th this is—I don't see how he could have, you know, passed up this opportunity. So I think that it was mutual, but I do think that the UFC did push it because think about it—he just beat Brian. He had enough time to relax. He did clear the division. He beat the greatest featherweight of all time twice. Twice. Decisively. And went against one of the greatest prospects we've had um, in modern times. One of the greatest jiu-jitsu wizards in modern time. Who probably will eke out the champ next. He will be the champion, right? Yeah, I mean, whether he fights Aldo or whether he dukes it out with Volkanovski for a shot at the title. No matter what happens, in my opinion, there's only two guys I see... Um, immediately at this point, who can get a title shot, and that's obviously Volkanovski and Ortega against Jose Aldo. I mean, but the one guy we will be talking about probably within the next coming months will be Zabit Magomed Shapirov, because out of all those guys, I think he has potential to be the most dominant champion. But we'll see what happens. Yeah, I am excited to talk about Zabit later on in the show. But my last question, and this always comes up when... We talk about the lightweight division. Where does Connor fit now? Connor fits where he should fit. 
Nowhere. Connor's bigger than the title, right? Not anymore. When you think of money fights, yes. But when you think of relevance and you think of legacy and you think of making history, Connor's not in anymore for me. He did everything he needed to do in the sport to become the biggest draw. But at this point, that's all he is. And if we're talking about Connor gets the winner of these two because he fought both of them and beat them, fine. But why would it matter? He already lost to Khabib. And I know for a fact that it's a 50-50 split between him and Tony. So if you want to mix them up, go ahead. But I think an interesting fight for Conor right now would be Donald Cerrone. And then we'll see how he gets mixed in if he can beat Cerrone. Because that's all I'm worried about. Because we don't want to see him fight Tony right now. For what? What does Tony have to do to get his title shot other than beat everybody, win the interim belt, destroy Anthony Pettis in one round? Come on. I mean, I just don't know where Conor fits because... He hasn't really proven himself to be a top contender anymore. He was out for two years, came back, got spanked in four rounds, and now just parading around New York City and Ireland. Yeah, Conor McGregor is the Brock Lesnar of the UFC. (laughs) Moving on to another MMA organization. You told me that I had to put this on the docket, so I'm going to let you riff on it. I am excited about it. 1FC announced their huge card Later on this year, what's going on? What's up with 1FC? So right now, they have arguably the biggest card in the history of 1FC. And I couldn't, and excuse the double negative, I couldn't not talk about this card. Because we also have on this card two UFC veterans and guys who are respectively champions and on the top during their time with the UFC. Eddie Alvarez, the hometown kid. And Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. Both of these guys are fighting. And they are both in the World Grand Prix quarterfinals. This is a chance for them to get on top of 1FC. And on top of... And also... We also have huge world title um, championship fights. We had Edward Foliang versus Shinya Aoki. One of the greatest legends in MMA history. Is that the last guy who... Is that the last guy Ben Askren beat? Yes, that is correct. And we also have Ong Lung Song defending his middleweight title finally. That's Fantasy Warfare champion Ong Lung Song. Yep, versus Ken Hatsugawa, a tough contender. And we also have the golden girl of 1FC, Angela Lee. And she'll be defending her belt against Xiong Jingnan. And then we move on to the bout for... Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson. He will be in the Grand Prix quarterfinal in the flyweight division against Yuya Wakamatsu. And then we have the man, the myth, the legend, the man who beat Bibiano Fernandez to win the Bantamweight world title. Kevin Belligen and Bibiano will be rematching each other again. So this is going to be incredible. There's, There's more... Notable names like, you know, Andy Sauer, one of the greatest kickboxers known right now. Yav De- Sank Lai, E-Way, Fairtex. One is like a, 
hybrid, right? They have kickboxing fights and MMA fights on the same card. That's correct. I mean, they have also they also have grappling matches too. The reason why I like One FC is because they're doing something that other top organizations aren't. They are mixing everything in together because jujitsu, kickboxing, and Muay Thai are all equally important in combat sports right now, and that should be known. I mean, you got one of some of the greatest guys right now, like Andy Sauer and Giorgio Petrosian. You know, they're in the mix in the Muay Thai division over at One FC, and it's incredible to watch. These guys' careers are being revamped in a new platform, and they're loving it. And I think it's amazing for combat sports. So, it's, it's awesome. Yeah, that's really exciting. Another thing that's really exciting, which I didn't put on the notes, but I just remembered, Kayla Harrison and the CEO of PFL went on to Ariel Hawani's MMA show to announce that they are the new addition to ESPN. All of PFL's events will be streamed on multiple ESPN platforms, whether it be ESPN2, Deportes, or ESPN+. So my one question I have about this, because UFC has been known to dabble a bit in cross-promotion, does this mean that UFC has... A cross promotion coming with PFL? It could be possible. I mean, they were sending a lot of prospects to um, formerly known as World Series of Fighting um, to kind of prove themselves against top opponents before they made Dana White's Tuesday night or Thursday night contender series. And, you know, they have a brief history of, you know, just cross promotion type deals and stuff like that. But I think that. In this case, I think MMA is just taking over. And I think ESPN is seeing that. And they're finally hip to it. Um, the UFC might have a hand in this. And um, I just think it's exciting for the sport of MMA. I mean, you're talking about cards every week now. And it's just incredible. I, and, and PFL, respectively, has some good contenders. Former UFC vets, former UFC fighters. Um... And they're looking good. I mean, they, they have a million-dollar tournament right now. Mm-hmm. That's that's big for the sport. Um, Road FC just had one, and uh, that was huge. I mean, a lot of people didn't know. You know, I did because I, you know, I watched multiple organizations. But it's stuff like that that really mixes it up for MMA. So I think it's great. And to have something like that on ESPN, that can bring a lot of popularity, not only to, to MMA in general, but to just combat sports altogether. I only ask because I see one fight. That is possible, and that is Kayla Harrison versus Cyborg. Cyborg is seeking a new contract. She wants to fight on this Brazil card coming up. What better way to like kind of like grease her wheels than to send her against Kayla Harrison? Yeah, it's one of those fights that's really exciting. Kayla is dominant. And um, to be able to go up against Cyborg would be incredible. And Cyborg doesn't have to cut as much weight. Exactly. She can fight at 155. Yeah, and that and that's the thing. Uh, I mean, to see a prime cyborg, because she's still in her prime, uh, go against some of the best in the world outside of the UFC, I mean, th- that's what MMA is about. You know? It, you know, it's not about making champ versus champ fights, and it's not about super fights. It's just about the best fighting the best while they're in their prime and making sure that they put on a good show. So I think that's a great idea. Hmm. So... 
Let's finally get into it. This weekend, you've been wanting to talk about this card for like three weeks. And I'm like, dude, we got to talk about the week <laughs> of. You're like, come on. UFC 235. Now, I've laid out all the big matchups, and we are going to cover them. Starting with Jeremy Stevens versus Zabit Magomed Sharipov. Now, not going to lie, Jeremy Stevens had an interview, and I felt for the guy. But Andre, I see this boy getting his butt whooped. <laughs> yeah. Look, Jeremy Stevens is a credible opponent. He's an elite fighter. But every now and then, you get these unicorns in MMA. And Zabit is a freaking unicorn. This dude is one of a kind. Sambo champion, Wushu champion, hand-to-hand combat master. I mean, he's got it all. He's got the jiu-jitsu. He's got the boxing. He's got the wrestling, the grappling. Jeremy Stevens does not have as many tools as a beat has, and that's why he's going to get dominated every single round. And aside from that, Zabit has the same mind as John Jones. They will find a way to beat you and dominate you. And that's what he's going to go into. Uh, that's what he's going to do against Jeremy Stevens. He's going to murder him in there. And I feel bad for him because throughout his entire career, he's gotten just this close and then has run into the wrong guy. And he's going to run into the wrong guy again. Just like he ran into Jose Aldo and got destroyed. Yeah, he was pretty bummed about that. He said he comp- contemplated suicide. Yeah, I mean, when when you've been working so hard and then you just come up short, you know, it sucks because you're in these long training camps and they're grueling and you're cutting weight and you're worried about your diet. You're trying to game plan against an elite fighter who's very dangerous, one of the legends of the sport, and, you know, you just get beat. And in decisive fashion at that, after dominating nearly everyone that stepped in front of you. I mean, he has some credible opponents under his name. But when you look at the fight against Jose Aldo compared to this fight coming up with Zabit, what's really going to happen? Zabit is literally going to outstrike him in every situation. He's going to outgrapple him, and he's just going to outwork him. There's literally no chance that Jeremy has. Even with a puncher's chance, Zabit has a good chin. He's never been knocked out. His only loss was by submission. So, that's it. I mean, that's it. I mean, the contender that we knew um, Jeremy Stevens as is no more after this fight. He's just going to be another undercard fighter. Sorry, Jeremy. Yeah, he'll be calling 1FC after this fight. <laughs> another person that I think should probably be calling 1FC... <laughs> Diego Sanchez versus Mickey Gall. Mickey Gall still one of the top prospects in the UFC. Hate him or love him, the guy is really good. And he's probably going to destroy Diego Sanchez, who, you know, I know he puts on fight, a good fight every time. But look, man, Mickey Gall is looking for blood. Yeah, and it's unfortunate Diego Sanchez has been being fed to the wolves. And in this case, Mickey Gall was on a good run. 
he unfortunately ran into another welterweight prospect and lost. Not by much. He didn't get finished or anything, but he just didn't put it together that night. He's still very young in his career. Very young. He doesn't have many professional fights to his credit, and yet he is fighting, you know, tough guys and putting on a show against them. But in this case, I know for a fact that this fight's probably going to last three rounds, but I think Gaul's just going to take Diego down and just ground and pound him. Or at the very least, maybe get a submission. But Gaul's getting better every time he fights. His striking is becoming more fluid. He's learning how to use his length. And his jiu-jitsu is really solid. I mean, for a young guy like that to have good jiu-jitsu, uh, and especially to use it and utilize it in the UFC, the way he has, I mean, it, it, you know, he's in to become a top prospect probably by next year. So He doesn't train too far from here, right? He trains in Jersey somewhere. Gaul? Yeah. I think so. Or he's I'm not part, too sure. He's a part of a big team. Yeah. I mean... Hey, he's it's showing, you know, and I and I I do remember seeing him, um, like press conferences and stuff, like you know, open workouts and stuff, and it seems like the camp that he's in is really good. So yeah, let's get into another fun fight that's happening on this card. This is actually the start of the main card. Cody Garbrandt versus Pedro Munoz. Now I know absolutely nothing about Pedro Munoz, except for the fact that he wants to touch Garbrandt's butt. This <laughs> dude loves him. I don't know what's up with him. But, I do know that Cody hits really hard. And Pedro Munoz is Brazilian, so chances are, he does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> Andre, what happens in this fight? Well, we have a matchup against two pretty decent strikers. Garbrandt, like you said, is a very powerful puncher. And he's also lightning fast. Um, Pedro Munoz, um, is he has good kickboxing, good Muay Thai overall. And um, he loves to go for the finish, whether on the ground or on the feet. And um, he poses a, a pretty big threat to Garbrandt. I mean, if Garbrandt goes in there thinking he's going to steamroll Munoz, uh, he might get caught just the same way he got caught against Dillashaw. Um, Munoz right now is not a big name. In the division, but if he beats Garbrandt, he definitely will be, because he is a legit contender, and um, over his last three fights, he's been really putting it on guys and in really decisive fashion. So, I think Garbrandt's game plan this time is to not automatically look for the KO, but be more methodical. Do what he did in the <laughs> second fight. Excuse me. Sorry. <laughs> God bless you. In his second fight against Dillashaw, he, in the first few minutes, he started to show more kicks, more patience, and I think he has to do the same. But he needs to calm down in there. You know, a lot of times when he does get caught, when he does get in these wild exchanges, he tends to buck up and just start throwing wild. And you can't do that against good strikers who understand how to strike, who understand how to counter. So, you know, and for Munoz... Munoz just has to put the pressure, but think as a counter-striker. And catch Garbrandt when he's coming in with lightning fast hands. And the only way to do that is to bait him with something like the jab, you know, or just a jab, one-two. And when he comes in to land, you need to just pull back and catch him while he's coming in. That's really the only way he's really going to be able to hurt Garbrandt. Because Garbrandt is going off of two losses. He's going in there off of two losses, and you know he's hungry to get back. 
you know, to the Bantamweight title, so. Yeah, that should be really exciting. Maybe the most excited I've ever been for a UFC debut, Robbie Lawler versus Funky Ben Askren. Now, I've explained how much I love wrestling. I cannot wait to see this fight. This is going to be so much fun. I'm scared for Askren because Robbie Lawler, you know, he's on a little dip in his career right now and he needs a win. But I just don't see it happening right now against Ben Askren. Yeah, I mean, it's tough because this is kind of like a Jake Shields versus Jake Ellenberger situation where Jake Shields was coming in as a huge favorite against Jake Ellenberger mainly because of his grappling pedigree and the fact that in other organizations he was pretty much dominating everybody on the ground, whether it be him getting the takedown and submitting them or just riding them out to an easy decision. And then when he ran into Jake Ellenberger, he got steamrolled. And it was really hard to watch because you saw that Jake Ellenberger simply just exploited the holes in his game, which was his lackluster striking. And this is kind of that same situation. Ben Askren knows what he has to do in there to get the victory, but what happens if you cannot get the takedown? Because in 1FC, while he was in there and he was being dominant, he did run into a, a fighter who was ragdolling him and slamming him everywhere and cracking him with big shots. And he had a lot of trouble. And the only reason he won that fight by submission was because the guy blew himself out. Robbie Lawler does not get tired, though. And Robbie Lawler, if he smells blood, by God Almighty, he will go for the kill. And it's very hard to stop him. There are very few men who have survived. We're talking about guys like the Red King, the Romac Gorilla, one of the greatest fighters to ever walk this earth. And he got destroyed by Lawler after five rounds. Johnny Hendricks thought he had him the second time around. He got whooped, too, in the fifth round. I mean, it's a scary fight for Askren because they literally fed him to one of the scariest dudes in UFC still. He hasn't really been finished in a long time other than by Woodley, and Woodley's a monster in itself. So Ben Askren, I hope he's ready for that. I hope that he goes in with the correct mindset, understanding that he cannot get into an exchange of flurries with Robbie Lawler or even get close to him unless he's going to take him down. Because, you know, one of the biggest parts of this fight is that Robbie Lawler also has incredible takedown defense. He has one of the highest takedown defense ratings in the welterweight division. So, this is a really interesting fight, and it's going to go either way. Yeah, I always say it. My favorite thing about Ben Askren is says, he says, Look, you know my game plan. I'm going to take you down, and I'm going to beat you up. Like, I love that. Yeah, I mean... He's going in there understanding that, you know, he's not coming in there trying to mix it up and show different looks. He's not that kind of fighter. He's dominant in one area, and 16 or 18 fights, I believe it's 18 fights, no one has been able to stop that game plan. So can Robbie Lawler do it? I mean, Robbie has faced tough wrestlers. He's a tough wrestler himself. A lot of people mm -hmm. don't know that. But in Bettendorf, Iowa, he started off as a wrestler. Yeah, we talk about it all the time where these high-level wrestlers get a couple knockouts and forget that they're wrestlers. Yeah, and only use their wrestling to keep it on the feet. And that's scary. I mean, 
you know, back then you had Chuck Liddell. He was the creator and the king of the sprawling brawl type of fight. He would just beat you up until you were too afraid to stand with him. And when you shot him for a takedown, he looked at you and said, nice try. I'm still going to punch you in the face. Get up. And and that's that's a possibility in this fight. You know, and if it does happen, Ben Askren has to really rethink his career. Because, you know, whether people like it or not, he's in the big leagues now. He's fighting the real contenders. All respect to 1FC. All respect to Bellator. But these guys are killers in there. Robbie Lawler can still knock anybody out in this division. Easily. And probably at middleweight too. So if Ben Askren goes in there, he's going to have to go for that takedown and make sure that it's a good one. Because if he cannot keep Robbie Lawler on the ground, he's going to get his ass whooped. So, let's see what happens. Yeah, I watched a brilliant video by MMA On Point this week about fun facts about Ben Askren. And the one, like, damper on his record is that no contest where he... I poked the guy by accident. And watching footage of that fight, he was having a tough time. And if that hap- if he gets rattled against Robbie Lawler like that, it's a wrap. Yeah. I mean, there's not many men who have been able to take Robbie Lawler's shots and survive. Unless they've beaten him decisively. And that's very rare. I mean, Lawler, in his the early stages of his career, was like a Jeremy Stevens. He won three, he lost four. He won six, he lost five. But it's a different Robbie Lawler now. He's very terrifying in there. And he has beaten some of the best of the best in the world's weight division. So Ben Askren has to understand that, yeah, okay, you might get caught. But this is Robbie Lawler. If he catches you, he's not just going to hit you at one shot and just stop. He's going to go for the kill. And everybody knows what happens when Robbie Lawler smells blood. He's going to go at you. There's not a lot of men who can take those kind of shots. Yeah, that fight. I'm so hyped for that. Are we watching this card together? Hell yeah, we're watching this card together. So this is going to be the first card since this show started that we watched together. Very important card. We cannot miss it. I mean, at this point, I think we should even probably do a fight companion. (laughs) But that's in the works. (laughs) One day, one day. (laughs) So, the co-main event to UFC 235 is my new boy, Tyron Woodley, versus Marty from Nebraska, (laughs) Kamaro Usman. Now, Dana... Was glowing about Kamara Usman when he beat Rafael Dos Anjos. I don't think too much when somebody beats Rafael Dos Anjos, especially after Rafael Dos Anjos lost the title. Like, he's a completely different fighter. It's a different weight class now. He's out of his league. Kamara Usman cannot boast about things like that. But Tyron Woodley, what has he done? But knock out everybody who's coming his path, except for Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. But he, you know, the those fights, you know, they were kind of funny. So, what happens here? Because all I see is my boy Woodley knocking another head off. <sighs> Usman stands a no chance. You know, Woodley said it, you know, in the UFC countdown. 
His wrestling isn't better than his. He can't strike better than him. And his cardio isn't as good. Woodley's not dumb. Woodley knows how to beat people. He does it the same way John Jones does it. He methodically breaks you down. He watches tape. He makes sure that he knows even your mannerisms during press conferences. He knows everything about you. He understands that Usman is a bit afraid of the in this fight because there's a lot of pressure on Usman's shoulders because of how much he's been running his mouth. And now it's time to put up or shut up. Woodley is not the kind of guy who just talks his way into a fight. He's earned his title. He's defended it multiple times. And right now, he wants to be claimed as the best welterweight of all time. And since he can't get his crack at George St. Pierre, unfortunately, he's going to have to steamroll the rest of the guys left and eventually move up. Here's the thing. I don't see Usman going two rounds. I think Woodley's going to put the pressure on him. Well, you know, Usman's going to shoot for a takedown. Woodley's going to stuff it. And if he does get taken down, he's going to get right back up. And let's not forget that Tyron Woodley is a high-level black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So, uh, I don't I don't see Newly Usman awarded doing black belt. Yeah. One of the most genuine moments I've ever seen in MMA. Yeah. We watched that together. When he got handed his black belt, I teared up. It was such a genuine reaction. It was like, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that's such a it's, it's it's such an honor for a fighter that has been fighting for such a long time and has been on top to finally get that prestigious award. I mean to have a black belt, that's not easy, man. Ten to twelve years in jujitsu is not easy. I mean that is a real accomplishment for him. And you know whether he was a brown belt for a long time or not, I mean he's he's still a legit elite black belt. And when you add in Incredible wrestling and, and vicious striking and now methodical striking, technical striking. I mean, Usman just does not have that. In a couple years, probably. He will probably be the heir to the throne when Tyron Woodley moves up or retires. But right now, Tyron Woodley is still in his prime and he's still very dangerous against any opponent. I mean, he went against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, which is probably the toughest fight in the welterweight division. And he eked out decision in the second fight. He found a way to win. That's what champions are made of. After that, he fought Damian Maya, Probably the greatest striker that ever stepped foot in an MMA cage. And he beat him too, decisively. I mean, T. Wood's going to go in there and he's not going to worry about what Kamaro brings to the table. He's worried about what he's going to do to him inside of two to three rounds. I'm excited to see Woodley again dominate. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a... That's an easy pick for me, and like I said, I've grown to really respect Woodley lately, and I just don't see that strap coming off, at least during this fight. So, we get to the main event. This is something where I want everybody to pay up when what's going to happen actually happens. Andre, tell them about John Jones versus Anthony Smith. Because we got the scoop. Oh, yes. John Jones, number one pound for pound. One of the best in the world. He's coming off an incredible victory against Gustafson. This man's got it all, and he's on top of the world again. But, man, he is going against a dude who is very terrifying. He did one small change in his career and is now one of the most dangerous fighters in the world. He moved up. And this is probably one of the scariest contenders right now to date. Anthony Smith has been knocking everybody out. 
He's dangerous, and he's going in there without fear and a chip on his shoulder, ready to shock the world against Johnny Bones Jones. Do I think he can pull it off? Absolutely. Not only do I think he can finish John Jones, but I think with the right and correct mindset, like a TJ Dillashaw versus Hannah Burrell mindset, I think he can dominate John Jones. He's got better striking from what I've seen. His jiu-jitsu looks solid, and I think as long as he doesn't get taken down, or if he takes John down, which some people might say is unlikely, but it is possible, if he can beat him for five rounds, he's arguably one of the greatest fighters to ever live. And I believe he can do it. I mean, yes, John Jones said it. He said, everybody always says that they figured me out. They know the holes in my game. But like he said, it's hard. And it's easier said than done. John Jones is one of the most well-wanted guys out there. And Anthony Smith has to go in there with the right mindset. This fight is not about skills and strength and size. This is about a mind game. This comes down to who's the smartest in there. Who came with the correct strategy and the right game plan. And I believe that Smith, training at Factory X, and all of his coaches... I think they have a good game plan for Jones. I just hope that he doesn't freeze up like Gustafson did. And I hope that he understands distance. And I hope he'll find a way to actually land some strikes and do some significant damage. So let's see what happens. Yeah, for me, as cheesy, as corny as it sounds, it really comes down to heart. And one thing we've learned about John Jones in the recent years is this man has no heart. He's just a fighter, but Anthony Smith, that boy got heart, and I think we're going to see that this week. Yeah, I mean, when you think of the will to win, John has that, but Smith has literally nothing to lose. He's coming in as a huge underdog, and everyone is saying... Yeah, we need, Jones- we need to talk about that later. We might need to split... 25 bucks, 25 bucks, put $50 (laughs) down on him. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, hey, I know for a fact that Anthony Smith is just as good as the best guys in there. And, you know, if you wanted to put him up against, you know, Gustafson after he lost, he probably will beat Gustafson. But this is the thing. Smith is coming in with nothing to lose. Like I said, he's coming in as a huge underdog. And he's not afraid of John. He knows what John brings to the table. Everyone knows what John brings to the table. But can he be that one guy that finally got it right? Can he be that guy? I don't know. Let's find out when it happens. No, I don't want to find out. I know. And I I want people to play this tape and tell everybody what we said. Oh, yeah. Because we called it here first. So let's go through the card. It's a big one. So St- Stevens versus beat. who you got? Zabit in three rounds. I also have Zabit. Sanchez versus Gall. I'm guessing we both got Gall. Yep. <laughs> Garbrandt versus Munoz. Garbrandt. Garbrandt. I'm going to say Munoz because I don't think Garbrandt is the same fighter that we've seen in the last couple years. Lawler versus Askren. I'm going with Lawler. Oh, how dare you? <laughs> Someone who you've been pitching to me since this show's inception. Funky Ben Askren. I'm going Funky Ben Askren. Woodley versus Usman. Woodley. 
Yeah, that's an easy pick. <laughs> we all know that that's my boy. And Jones versus Smith. Smith. Me too. You heard it here first. The boys from your boy Elroy are calling it the major upset. Anthony Smith over John Jones. We will be talking about that fight next week. We will be tipping our hat. We will be... What's the other saying? We will be... Um, we will be tooting our horns when it comes to that fight. But it is time for my favorite segment. Your favorite segment. Everybody's favorite segment. Fantasy Warfare. This week's Fantasy Warfare is brought to you by the Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast Network. Man, that's a mouthful. But we are a part of that network. My good buddy Donovan, the Lowdown Lloyd, is also a part of that network. And, of course, the flagship for all your wrestling podcasting needs, head to Matt Madness Wrestling Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Andre, this week's Fantasy Warfare is Anthony Pettis versus Sean Shirt. Now, let me give you the lowdown, no pun intended, Donovan, on Sean Shirk. The Muscle Shark has an MMA record of 36 wins and 4 losses. 8 of those wins coming by knockout, 13 by submission, and 15 by decision. My man has fought some of the greatest names in MMA. From George St. Pierre to the homie BJ Penn, as well as Nick Diaz, Kenny Florian, Tyson Griffin, Frankie Edgar. Whew. My man has done it all. He's a wrestler. He has some boxing. What could you tell me about Anthony Pettis? So, as of now, Anthony Pettis is a former UFC lightweight champion himself. He actually won that in a first round submission victory against Benson Henderson in their rematch, and then defended it once against Gilbert Melendez, where he also submitted him by guillotine choke in the second round. And uh, his total record right now stands at 21-8, and eight, with his most recent loss going up against Tony Ferguson, the boogeyman. In one of the greatest and quickest fights that we've ever seen, and it was an unfortunate ending, for Anthony Pettis because I thought he was doing really well in that fight. But um, Anthony Pettis is a very, very interesting type fighter with his style. He's a third Dan black belt in Taekwondo. And he is also a new black belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under Dander, Daniel Vanderlei. And he is a Rufus Sport native. I mean, this guy holds notable wins against tough opponents like Michael Chiesa, Jim Miller, Charles Oliveira, Donald Cerrone, Joe Lozon, Jeremy Stevens. I mean, the list goes on and on. All very popular names nowadays. Definitely. I mean, this guy and in his prime was one of the scariest dudes to fight. I mean, he can put it all together with strikes. And he also has some very underrated jujitsu. Yeah, for me, I usually hand it over to you, but... I feel like this is the easiest fantasy warfare because 
if we're talking about both of these guys in their prime, I think Anthony Pettis just has this craftiness about his striking and just overall athleticism that I don't think Sean Shirt can stand with him. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those fights that goes either way because in Sean Shirk's prime, he was able to put the boxing and wrestling together well. But, you know, there were times where he did run into some strikers that gave him a really tough time in there. And it's mainly because at that time, you know, when he was fighting at 170, fighting at 155, he was giving up a lot of size um, as far as the height. But um, in this case, you know, Anthony Pettis has had some trouble against wrestlers. But I think in looking in the idea of Pettis' ability to keep guys at bay, I think Sean Shirk has a lot of trouble with him because Sean Shirk never fought anybody with the striking pedigree of Anthony Pettis. Yeah, it's just something that I think would be ahead of Shirk's time. If they were to fight, like I said, as prime athletes. So, that is my pick. I am saying Anthony Pettis over Sean Shirk in Fantasy Warfare. You agree? Yes. So, why don't you give us next week's fight for Fantasy Warfare. Okay, so disclaimer. This fight is one of those fights that I felt should have happened in a perfect world. Where both of these guys were in their prime, fighting in the UFC, and just going at it for possibly five rounds. So, my pick was your boy and my boy, Kane Velasquez. The greatest heavyweight of the modern era. And my pick, some say the greatest heavyweight of all time, Fedor Emelianenko. So, next week's Fantasy Warfare is Cain Velasquez versus Fedor Emelianenko. Thank you again, Matt Manis, for sponsoring this week's Fantasy Warfare. Andre, let's get into some listener questions. Our first question comes from great friend of the show, Ron Pashery Jr. And his question reads, Is... Tony too corny for Dana to let him be the face of the division. Tony being Tony Ferguson. Is Tony Ferguson too corny for Dana White to let him be the face of the division? I mean, hey, man. Tony is a very strange character. And I think everybody knows that. But the thing is this. You can't deny the man's skills and dominance. That's just something that cannot be questioned. Eventually, we are going to have to see him fight Khabib. And I think if he beats Khabib, he has earned the right to be the face of the division. Whether he is ugly or not, <laughs> and the boogeyman or not. Hey man, this guy's going to fight. He's going to keep destroying dudes. And he's going to get his title shot like he deserves it, so... I think that he isn't corny, but I do see how guys like Khabib and Connor should be the face of the UFC. But, I mean, hey, their skills ain't cashing no checks like they thought they would, so. Yeah. My answer is 
pass, you need to be careful what you say about Tony because he will ankle pick you. <laughs> but in all seriousness, yes, Pash, Dana White needs personalities, but personalities that match the vision of the company. So you could be funny, but if you're not making any money for them, they don't care. And Tony Tony Ferguson is a personality, but he's not making he's not drawing people in. Nobody's saying Oh my God, Tony Ferguson's on this card. Let me buy it. But people are saying, Oh my God, Conor McGregor's on this card. Let me buy it. Oh, Khabib's fighting? We're in there. So, yes, Tony Ferguson is too corny for the division. Andre? So, this next question, and I'm really excited because I finally have my own listener question to bring to the podcast. So, this next question comes from my good friend, Jesus. And his question is a very interesting one, and I thought was something that should be talked about now. So, what are your thoughts on the new wave of athletes from different sports, such as football and basketball, coming into the sport of mixed martial arts? This obviously coming from the news that former first-round pick Royce White wants to be in the UFC, so he's going to start training MMA, right? Yeah, I mean, we've seen this before. Guys like Al Harrington, um, even the guys from wrestling like Dave Batista, they've tried their hand in MMA. I think that when you look at athletes of that caliber, it does bring something interesting to the sport of MMA. The reason being is that these guys were lifelong athletes. They are incredibly strong, and they're hungry to make a name for themselves in a new sport. And it's good for the sport of MMA and, um, you know, the only thing I can say about Royce White is that he has had a lot of issues when, it's, when it came to stuff like anxiety. And that's unfortunately the reason why he was never really able to cement a good career in the NBA. But I think that, you know, like guys like Greg Hardy um, and him, this could be a shot at redemption for them to truly be the stars that they've always wanted to become in their respective sports. So I think that it's interesting, but my only reserve is that jumping straight into the UFC is not a good idea. Um, the reason why is because you're going to have a lot of guys who make a lot of noise in the lower class divisions and the, the lower organizations, but eventually you will run into a very well-rounded fighter who can put it all together and dominate you. And, you know, the UFC has had a tendency of making tune-up fights or one-too-many tune-up fights for guys that they are trying to push, a.k.a. Sage Northcutt. We kind of don't want to see that, you know, with these new athletes because they need time to become elite mixed martial artists and to become contenders. And that's not something that is just easily put together. Not everybody is a John Jones who comes in and becomes a champion after only a year or so of training. So I think that Royce White, congratulations on your idea. But take it slow. Be smart about your nutrition and be smart about your training. And then we go from there. Yeah, I think it's interesting for the simple fact that these guys are athletes. And athletes... You know, that's a good start to being an MMA fighter, is being an athlete. But there's so many things you have to learn 
that I don't know at that age that you can consume the amount of information and skill. You know, some of these guys been training all their life. Like, Ice Cream Crone, that boy's a killer. Like, what are you going to do when he's on top of you? You know, you're not going to gain that skill overnight. And as much as an athlete as you could be, it's just not going to happen. But it is exciting, you know, to see other stuff happen. You know, sometimes you get a Brock Lesnar, but sometimes you get a CM Punk. So you got to take some. You, you win some, you lose some. Yeah. And the UFC, he's, I mean, well, the sorry. The UFC is always going to have those opportunities for these kind of um, popular figures in, in, you know, the sports industry. But you really don't want to have another CM Punk, like you said. Because that just did not pan out well. And that was the perfect example of the UFC putting a guy into their organization that, no matter how much he trained, did not have the physical attributes and the drive to actually be good at something other than takedowns and some blue belt jujitsu. That's not enough when you're going against guys who are elite and, like you touched on, who have been training their whole lives. There's a, it's just a different realm. If you've been training your whole life in football, it does not equate to somebody who's been training in jiu-jitsu for 10 years because the result will end up the football player being strangled to death and probably by a guy who is not anywhere near his size. So as long as the UFC is doing this the right way, it can be exciting. Like you said, like a Brock Lesnar. Stuff like that is interesting. Cross promote, I mean, uh, cross sport kind of stuff like that. That that's a that's a money maker for them, you know. To see a guy like like for example, if John Cena got in there after training for ten years in MMA and he walked into the sport of MMA and made some noise, that would be huge. Not only for wrestling but MMA. Yeah, thank you, Jesus, for that question. Thank you, Patch, for the previous question. I. Also have a question, as I usually do for you, Andre. So, my question is, if you had a chance to train at any MMA camp in the world, what would be the camp that you would choose? Oh, and why, obviously. God, this is probably, hands down, the most difficult question I've ever been asked on this podcast. Ever since I started training, there has been three gyms that were just a go-to for me. And I'm going to list them right now. You have, of course, home of George St. Pierre and Roy McDonald, TriStar Gym. Much respect for, to Faraz Sahabi. He is one of the masterminds in MMA, and he is a true wizard. Spoiler alert, that's my pick. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so... Number two, of course, Greg Jackson's. Controversial camp, but you cannot deny their success rate with multiple UFC champions. And not every gym can say that. And that was one of my dream gyms that I always wanted to train at because George St. Pierre also trained there. And one of my favorite fighters as well, Carlos Condit, the natural born killer, was also there. But my third favorite gym comes from a place... Uh, a bit personal because I actually wanted to go there and I was this close to going. I always wanted to train at the American Kickboxing Academy. Ever since I saw, you know, the UFC countdowns, you could see just the 
the the love and support that these teammates have for each other. And they're like brothers in there. I mean, this gym started from the ground up like most, but the core that they have in that gym is just incredible. And now, in modern times, you have a bunch of Russian guys like Khabib in there, Islam Makashev, Khabib's cousin who tried to punch Connor in the face. <laughs> but you have so much of high-level talent and elite skill in there. You cannot deny that it's arguably one of the best gyms in the world. But if there is one gym that I have to give props to, and if I could train there, I would, it has to be CSA. This is where guys like Gaston Bolanos train, and many other notable UFC fighters. Even TJ Dillashaw goes there, and he trains from time to time. And um, it's one of the best gyms. And right now, as we speak, it is the biggest combat sports gym in North America. And their head coach, Fitzsimmons, I mean, this guy is another mastermind. Incredible striking coach. And um, that gym is just expanding and more talent is, you know, just flooding in there every day. So I, I love that gym. But those are my top four gyms. But if I had to choose one out of all of them, I have to go with TriStar. Yeah, Faraz Zahabi is just a mastermind. And he just... There's something about like his thinking, like his his mentality that I love. First of all, his podcast with Joe Rogan is a must listen. Oof. Just the stuff that he says, you, a lot of people don't think about that when it comes to training. So that alone is what really draws me to that gym. And because you know, I've professed my love about wanting to wrestle and those guys are killers there. So yeah, I mean, when you look at a guy like Faraz Hobby, he is the product of someone who has made martial arts in general their passion in life. And it shows through the success of his gym and the champions and the high-level fighters that have come out of that gym and more high-level fighters that have come to that gym that wanted to become the best in the world. And when you look at Faraz Ahabi, you have to think, I mean, he was a big part of the amazing and storied career of George St. Pierre and Rory McDonald. And that is because he is a mastermind everywhere. Wrestling, jiu-jitsu, Muay Thai, boxing, he's got it all. And I would, I would be honored to even step on the same mat with this man, to ask him questions, to pick his brain, and to just put my all into every training session because I know not only will I become a better fighter, but I will also become a better person because this man is also a stud. So that is the gym I would pick. Thank you for that question. Nice. And with that being said, my name is Josh Prep Igina. You can find me on all forms of social media at Elroy Preps in one word. Andre, tell them about yourself. Well, guys, you can find me on Instagram as Flow State Dre. One word. You can also find me on Facebook as my regular name and real name, Andre Rodriguez. And one last thing, guys, please, if you have any listener questions throughout the week, please flood the messages in either through my DM on Instagram or my personal messenger on Facebook. And same thing for Josh. We want to hear these good questions. We want good content for the podcast. And we want to keep growing. So please, leave a five-star review, subscribe, 
and just overall enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Andre. And with that being said, I must bid you adieu. Goodbye. And good night. Bang!